All right, well, we're starting um, with the microphone. Normally, I don't know if I need a microphone, but because this is my first time talking in this sanctuary, figured we'd give it a shot, see if, uh, see if I need it. Um, first of all, good morning, and thank you for having me up here. Um, it is an honor and a privilege. Um, I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Um, we're going to be looking mostly at one verse, but the context that surrounds it as well. Um, I did want to say, you know, Hope and I um, and our, our eight wonderful children, my dad's here as well today. Um, we just, we felt very welcomed, very brought into this congregation since we got here. Um, one of the things that, I, that we were praying for um, as a family when we started our, our leave, our furlough, was that we would be somewhere that I would be able to provide some time of rest um, for, for a pastor who didn't normally have that opportunity. Uh, I've served in, as a pastor in churches where there's no one willing or able, sometimes both, uh, to fill a pulpit on any Sunday, nor anyone in the area who could fill in uh, for sickness or vacation or, or anything else. Um, learned quickly how hard Ed works during the week, especially this time of year. Um, and, and I wanted to be able to, to fill that role that I didn't have in some of those churches as God would have it, Pastor Ed's blessed me with this opportunity this morning. So thank you. Um, if you read through the book of Romans, um, when you come to chapter 8, you're right in the middle of the book. You've, you've got, you're, you're halfway through. Paul has, in the letter of Romans, up to this point, he's dealt with practical and deep theological issues. Um, he's dealt with salvation. He's dealt with justification, sanctification, regeneration, Original sin, total depravity, a whole lot of big words for, for clear, sometimes simple, sometimes complicated biblical truths. He's laid it out, and, and Romans is often called, um, so a lot of people call it the best chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And Romans in general is Paul's systematic theology. It's where he just, he lays everything out in a system that the people in, in Rome, the churches in Rome, and those who are going to be hearing the letter, reading the letter, including us today, needed. Everything that's needed is in the book of Romans. And so he continues here. He's dealt with those things. He's explained those things. He's laid them out for the church in Rome. And he continues here in chapter 8, the, the first part we're going to be dealing with this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray, and then we'll start looking at some Bible verses. Uh, Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together as your church as uh, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, help us to uh, hear your words that you have written down, that your Holy Spirit has inspired. Help me to share your word and your intent in those. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, before we look at Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, as I said, context is, is necessary. I want to reread the last two verses of chapter 7. And as we continue to remember to look at the context of passages we look at, we know that no verse in the Bible is in a vacuum. Uh, every verse needs to be looked at in context. We need to know what comes right before it. We need to know what comes right after it. Uh, now, I read out of the English Standard Version. Um, that's what you're going to hear from me up here, the ESV. Important part is not what translation you are reading from, but that you are reading for yourself uh, the Word of God, ingesting the living bread, the Word of God for yourself. So... Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Paul finishes that chapter, writing, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So we see that. Paul's written that. And if you read chapter 7, you see Paul's been struggling. He's been, he's been fighting back and forth. I have these, these desires of, of things that I, I don't want to do that I know are wrong, and yet I have these things I want to do that are right that my body doesn't want me to do. And he, he's struggling with that. And yet here, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ has delivered us from the law of sin and death. Thanks be to God. Now, again, he's just gotten done talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit to do the things of God. And our flesh continues to be corrupted by sin. We continue to fall. We give in to temptation. And and we we fight with that throughout our, our natural human lives. If we are in Christ, we are being sanctified. We continue to grow in Christ. We are human beings with a sinful nature and fighting against the powers and principalities, but we are spiritual beings in Christ who continue to fight that fight as we grow and we become closer and closer to him. And so you read chapter 7 where Paul is talking about his struggles, doing the things he knows he shouldn't do, and and you can almost hear him beating himself up. And that that feeling, that thought process, that knowledge uh, of of I'm continually failing, I'm, I'm stumbling, I'm falling, I'm not doing... What God wants me to do lead to his statement. The question in seven, chapter 7, verse 24, when he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And, and reading this or, or experiencing this, I experience this on a, 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 quite often. And I don't know if the rest of you do, but I go through that often. I am not doing what I need to do. I am not living up to who God has called me to be. I am not doing the things that the Bible has called me to do. Why, why should I bother? It's easy to think, what's the point? Why bother? It's all bad, nothing good, evil wins. You look at the news, you look out your window, you look at the people you come across every day. What's the point? But it's always darkest right before the dawn. And so Paul finishes up chapter 7 And that last verse of chapter 7, those last two verses, they lead right into the first verse of chapter 8. And that's what I want to look at with us this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 8. I'm going to read 1 through 11 for context, but but chapter verse 1 is the key verse that we are going to focus in here. So Romans 8, 1 through 11. Everything's bad. Everything's terrible. What's the point? Why should I bother? Starting in verse 1. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now, as I said a moment ago, no Bible verse exists in a vacuum. No verse exists without context. The verse numbers didn't exist until a couple hundred years ago. The chapters didn't exist until a couple hundred years before that. When Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapters and verse breaks or divisions. Okay? So we can't just pull out one sentence that Paul wrote. That's why I read verses 1 through 11. However, verse 1 right here, if understood correctly, and that's a big if, verse 1 can be a standalone verse. There are fewer of those than we think in the Bible, but this is, but this is one of them, in, in my opinion. It's obviously placed here in context, coming right after Paul's inner battle, he relates in chapter 7. He makes sure we, we have to know the context by saying, therefore... Wait, what's this verse there for? But within the context, this verse in full is beautiful and simple. Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful statement. What an encouraging word that the Holy Spirit gives Paul to write to the churches in Rome. And as God, part of God's inspired and inerrant word to give to us. Again, when things seem so dark, when we are struggling with our own walk, when we see the things going on in the world around us, when we see evil seeming to win, when we are like, this must be what it was like when when God decided to call Noah and, and flood the world. This must be what it was like. When we see those things, we read this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul makes it clear throughout the, his letter and through the rest of his letters. Our process of sanctification is, in fact, ongoing. It is not complete. It is not finished. We don't become Christians and immediately become perfect non-sinners. Oh, that it were. It's not complete. It's not finished. We are still going to trip up. We're still going to sin in this life. Paul talks, in, again, in Romans 7, there's this, this battle going on inside of us, these desires that we are fighting against. But if, if we are in Christ, that's the main point that this all ties to, this all revolves around. If we are in Christ, those sins that we commit will not condemn us. That we will not want to commit those sins. Things I, do, I don't want to do, I do. I don't want to do them. You don't want to sin when you are in Christ. They will not condemn us. For now, there is no condemnation in Christ. Outside of Christ, unfortunately, all are condemned. That is an unfortunate reality that we see throughout God's word. All who are in Christ are without condemnation. All who are in Christ are saved are justified, 
our standing in, in, in right legal standing before God. All who are in Christ are forgiven. All who are in Christ have had all their sins forgiven, past, present, and future. And only if you are in Christ, that condemnation is taken away. That condemnation that is deserved is taken away. We are delivered by grace through faith into the family of God. Paul's going to talk later in this chapter, in chapter 8, about us being adopted into his family and us only then becoming children of God and co-heirs with Christ. My point at the moment and the underlying point of this verse is that there is a very real, very tangible, very necessary difference in our lives when we become in Christ. And more importantly, in our souls, depending on if we are in Christ or not. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I'll try to give you a quick and simple gospel. God created us to worship him, to bring him glory. He created us to be with him. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, we messed that up. We all sinned. That separates us from God. Sin, sinning comes from worshiping anything and everything except God. Sinning attempts to bring us and others glory instead of God. Tries to bring us up to God's level or God down to our level. Sin corrupts so totally and completely that we cannot stop ourselves from sinning. We cannot not sin. God is a holy God. He is a perfect, he has perfect and holy standards. He also is a just God, meaning that sin needs to be dealt with and not just swept under the rug. The wages of sin is death. Now, God knew all this before time began, and God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one God, three persons, they had a plan. That plan was for Jesus, the Son of God, to be born as a human baby, the incarnation, lived his life as 100% human and also 100% God. He lived a holy and sinless life. He showed us what obedience to God looks like. He lived as an example and taught how to rightfully interpret the scriptures. More importantly, as we mentioned just in that last song, as we celebrate this week and this this upcoming weekend, he died a death that he didn't deserve. He was crucified for sins he didn't commit. Because he died without any sins, his blood was sufficient to cover up our sins. His righteousness is enough to cover up our natural, innate, all-encompassing unrighteousness. We cannot earn influence, or achieve our salvation in any way. We cannot access Jesus' righteousness in any way on our own. No matter how moral, how upstanding, how nice, how law-abiding, how conservative, or how churched we are, none of that matters or affects our salvation or access to Jesus' righteousness in any way. He gives it freely. We have been saved by grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And who God in the Bible tells us he is. Sin blinds us to the gospel. We can't see it. We don't know who Jesus is. Or we don't know that we need saving from our sins. Sin blinds us to the gospel. It blinds us to the saving work of Christ on the cross. The Holy Spirit lifts that veil from our eyes. And it turns our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. 
The Holy Spirit regenerates us and changes us from the inside out. When that happens, we become covered in Christ's righteousness. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. And therefore, he no longer demands blood for payment of our sins. Because Jesus Christ's blood and righteousness is already covering. So we are justified, which means we are no longer seen as guilty, but we are declared as having right legal standing before God. Our sins are forgiven. And that happens instantaneously, the moment we are saved by grace through faith. God's work in us and on us, the demands that, 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 that he demands from us, those are not finished in that moment. We are freed from the curse of sin and the condemnation of the law. But God calls us to follow the law, not to earn our salvation, not to keep our salvation. But because we are saved, because we are freed, because we now have the desire to. The law is good and holy, but it is not a method of salvation. And so we are called to follow in order to grow in holiness to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us later in Romans. Sin loses its grip on us, and and we grow in our walk, our relationship with Christ. This is a, a process. This part of it is a process. It's not instant. The justification, the forgiveness, the declared righteous, that is instant. That is our salvation. This part, our walk, our growing our, our sinning less, our growing in him, our desire, that is a, a process. It starts in that instant and it continues for the rest of our lives. That is sanctification. We are no longer condemned, but we are now citizens of the kingdom of God. If we are in Christ, the reality is that this is no longer our world. Now, the unfortunate reality is that many people are not in Christ. Many people either don't believe God exists, so they see no reason to believe in sin or that they're sinners. Other people believe in a God or maybe even a Jesus. You know, they call on on that name, not knowing who the Bible says he is. But they consider themselves good enough people that they have no need to repent or to change their lives or, or to go to church or anything else that would impede the lifestyle that they were already living. There's no change in that. The problem is morality without being in Christ leads down the same wide and easy road that leads to destruction as does unbelief and immorality. Famous American Puritan Jonathan Edwards says the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. The rest of it's all God. Favorite words in the Bible We'll, we'll see, I'll read one of those verses coming up later. But God. This is who we are. But God. Without Christ, we are in a state of natural rebellion. I don't need Christ because he and sin don't exist. I don't need Christ, though he and sin do exist, but I'm good enough without him. The only right view out of sin, out of rebellion, the only right view and lifestyle is I need Christ, period. I can't do it. I am nothing without him. I can't save myself. I can't do anything to earn my salvation. I depend on him for everything, for his grace, 
for the faith, for the forgiveness. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Without Christ, there is only condemnation. Without Christ, we all deserve and will only receive eternal torment, the weeping and gnashing of teeth that Jesus talks about in hell. It's not a pleasant subject. I don't like speaking about it. Jesus speaks about it. Therefore, I have to speak about it. Without Christ, there is no hope, no salvation, no assurance, and no future. But God. And yet, now, there is no condemnation in Christ. This verse stands alone with no buts if we understand what it truly means to be in Christ. It doesn't mean do whatever you want. There's no condemnation. It doesn't mean everybody gets to go to heaven. We have to understand what it means to be in Christ. He tells us that we are to take up our cross daily. We will face resistance and persecution. We will see it as unfair that we can't treat others in the negative way that they treat us. That's really not fair. That's really hard. We are called to live a holy life set aside from the society and culture around us. Not removed from, but set aside. The word holy means set aside. Different. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. We have to lean on the grace and mercy of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it, but we are called to do it. Christ helps us do that because we will not become sinless. We will, not get, we will get down on ourselves, maybe, maybe even feeling that condemnation that has been taken away. Paul, again, if Paul is going to struggle with that, if Paul is going to beat himself up for an entire chapter, he's going to say, these things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. I keep failing. I keep falling. Chief of sinners am I. There's a lot of sinners in this world, a lot of bad sinners. He's calling himself, I'm the chief of them. If we're honest with ourselves, we each say that when we look in the mirror. But you know what? If you are, when we see that, that's an honest view of who we are outside of Christ. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First of all, if you are not in Christ, please change that. Stop rejecting the gospel. Stop rejecting Christ's completed sufficient work on the cross that he did for you. Call, Christ is calling you. Do as he says. First words in, in, in Mark's gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus' first words in the gospel. So if you, don't, if you are not in Christ, repent and believe. Bible says in Proverbs that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lead not on our own understanding. You can't do it yourself. And it has eternal and dire results. Open the Bible and read God crying out to you. Paul writes later in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. See God's word for what it is. His revelation of himself to us so that we can know him and trust in him. That that is sufficient for salvation. Second off, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. If you are in Christ, Paul is writing and has been writing to assure us that we are not in Christ because of ourselves, but it is a wonderful, incredible, undeserved gift from God. Because it is a gift, because it is all from God, we can have assurance 
of that salvation in Christ. There is no condemnation. There is no being snatched out of the hand of God. There is no God taking back his forgiveness. Again, Paul gets more into that later in the same chapter, Romans chapter 8. So if you go home, read chapter 7 and 8 as one unit. Read what Paul is saying before this verse and read what this verse leads to him saying. It's, it's a beautiful section of a letter that he's writing. But there's, there's more to it. What are some of the best gifts you have ever received? When you, when you think back on your life, there, there's a few things that pop out. I got this as a gift and wow, it stuck with me all these years and it still holds the same place in my heart as it did then. So when you got these gifts, did you hide them and keep them a secret? Of course not. You went and told everybody. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that, that our new creations, us, being changed by the Holy Spirit, our new creations in Christ. We are ambassadors to Christ. It's my favorite title that we are given as Christians in Scripture. We are ambassadors. Part of that is that the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul's writings, through the rest of Scripture, how we are to act, to live, to communicate, and to speak on behalf of not ourselves, but to speak on behalf of our sovereign King. We are to share the message that he has proclaimed. We are to proclaim with authority what he has already proclaimed, with the authority that he has bestowed upon us. That's a whole different sermon for another time, but again, my favorite title that we are given, we are ambassadors to Christ. And when we receive this gift this, and this title that God has given us, we're excited and we want others to know. We want to share that. Sometimes we lose that over time. Sometimes, well, yeah, now you're thinking of that gift that you were given all those years ago. And yeah, you tell people now because you're remembering it. But sometimes we don't think about it unless we're reminded of it. We are still, we are called to have that same excitement, that same uh, desire to tell everybody else about this, this amazing gift that God has given us. Uh, it's literally a matter of life and death for people. Eternal life with Christ or eternity in hell. Charles Spurgeon shows us how we should be looking at this, and I, I, I love this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell eat over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We have the message of salvation. We have the message that people need. We have the message that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ changes us from the inside out. Sometimes that fruit that we are supposed to be bearing, sometimes it doesn't always show up immediately. But it will always be there. A.W. Tozer says the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. When I think about the, the fruit of the Spirit and, and how it doesn't always show immediately, at our last church, right outside the back, there were a couple of windows and there were, well, we found out later, there were two olive trees. But when we got there, we had no idea what kind of trees those were. Nobody else actually had any idea what kind of trees they were either. We asked around. Well, after a couple of months, 
It started to become springs. Things started blooming. Fruits started being born on the tree. And then we were able to identify that's an olive tree. Didn't happen immediately. Didn't happen all the time that we wanted to see it. We pulled up to the church. We couldn't say, ah, there's an olive tree. But when we spent time with it, when we saw what was happening, when we saw the fruit being born, then we can say, that's an olive tree. It was always an olive tree. We couldn't always identify it as such, but it was always an olive tree. Lastly, if you are in Christ, rejoice. Thank God. Sing praises to him. Honor him. Worship him. Sing the songs we sing here as we're gathered for worship. And you know what? I can speak from experience. It doesn't matter how you sing. Make a joyful noise. Lift up your voices and make a joyful noise. That honors God. Honor him by following his commands, including reading his word, gathering with the saints, living a holy life that he gets to define, not us. Worship him by putting him above all else. Not work, not school, not house, not football, on Sunday mornings, not fishing, camping, being out on the lake, sleeping, family, friends. Nothing goes before God. I'm going to leave us with one more passage of scripture and then I'll close us in prayer. Paul writing to the, in the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Excuse me, verses 1 through 10. He writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Praise you. Thank you, God. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have saved us. You have delivered us. You have changed us. Help us to remember that. Help us to go out and, and show that change and show that spirit and show that, that energy, that, that message that you have given us to those around us. For there are those that don't know you, that don't believe, that are condemned. You have given us the message of salvation. Help us to go share it, to rejoice in it, and to live it. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. Pray these things in his name. Amen.